Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, where we left off last week. Hopefully through this gruffy voice this morning, you'll be able to hear the Word of God. That's my prayer for you this morning. So if you have found Acts chapter 3. Uh, turning to verse uh, 11, if you'd stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning, please. So Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 11, it reads like this. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, asked for a murder to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Father, this morning... We thank you so much for your mercy in our lives, for holding back from us that which we deserve and for your grace in giving us that which we do not deserve, which is salvation, righteousness through your son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, as I stand before your people and preach your word, Father, I ask for your strength and my weakness, that Father, this morning, the only thing that be seen and heard is you and all of your glory. This morning, we do this as we worship you as we glorify you, as we edify the body. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we've been looking at this second sermon of Peter's. You know, his first was preached as he came off of Pentecost, as, as the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the people, and, they, and the ones gathered in that room, some 120, had spoken in different languages, those Jews that happened to be in town, those from all parts of the, the known world at that time, had heard the, their own language spoken by these Galileans, by these, these unlearned people, and it had attracted their attention, and they had come, and, and they had heard the gospel preached by Peter. When Peter convicted them of their denial of Jesus Christ, if you remember after that first sermon back in the second chapter, there was some 3,000, it said, that were baptized. Then we moved into the third chapter. In that third chapter, we saw the healing of the lame man that each of those people would pass day after day in the gate, beautiful, leading up to the temple. And Peter and John had stopped one day, and they had taken notice of the man, and they had told him in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The man was healed. He, he got up, he leaped up, and he ran up to the temple. And it was at that time those that had passed him every day saw him in the temple and said, something's different about this man. <laughs> we know him as a lame man at the gate, and now he leaps and jumps and praises God for what has happened. And it was that miracle of the Holy Spirit in this man's life at the name of Jesus, him being healed, that now drew an abundance of folks to this Solomon's porch. 
And we were looking at the message that, that Peter now preached to them. He had them gathered in the Solomon's porch where he and John were standing with the former lame man grasping a hold of them. And before them was this throng of people trying to figure out how was this lame man healed by this Peter and John. And, and in the verses I read to you this morning, you notice he starts with the fact, why are you looking at us? We had nothing to do with it. All we did was tell him that in the name of Jesus, you were healed. And he takes that proclamation to the lame man who was healed. And now he takes that name of Jesus and he points towards the crowd and he gives them six names of Jesus. The first we looked at last week, which was the glorified servant. You see, those that were gathered there in that place were looking for a Messiah to come, but the one thing they were not looking for that Messiah to be was a servant. They were looking for him to be a conqueror. And again, now, as, as Peter has talked about this glorified servant, he now points to the second name. The second name there we see where, where he talks about this God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in verse 13. He says, the God of your fathers, his glorified servant, and he gives him the name Jesus. Again, Peter takes them down this, this memory lane. And, and, and for us, it's not obvious. This, this name doesn't really speak to us like it did then. But for them, it would have been very obvious what he was saying. See, the name translated there, this name that was translated or transliterated in our Bibles as Jesus was actually the word Jehoshua. Joshua. See, whenever he says this name, Jehoshua, literally in Hebrew, that name means Jehovah saves. Or it could be translated, Jehovah my Savior. So when, he, when they heard this name, it was different than us hearing this name of Jesus. See, today we name our children, we all have names, but our names don't carry the weight that they carried in that day and time. Remember when Jesus was named. Remember when at his birth, it was told, give him the name Jesus, for he comes to save his people from their sins. See, even when it was mentioned in the New Testament to name him that, there was a reason he was given that name. And now as this name Jehoshua is said to them, it means a whole lot different than us. See, he's just throwing him a curveball. He's just throwing him a curveball with this whole uh, uh, servant thing. What he's, what he's talked about, this servitude. See, they expected the Messiah to come, and they expected him to come riding into town, yielding a sword, and to run the Romans out the backside and to take over. They expected this, this Messiah to come and take over, ruling the entire country and to set up his own kingdom. And Peter, Peter stood up and preached to them. He says, no, you don't get it. That servant that you killed... That was the Messiah. So they've already caught this curveball coming in that they couldn't hit. And now Peter, now Peter connects this Jesus of the cross to this name Jehoshua. For us, it may take a minute to make that connection ourselves. Let me run it past you briefly. When they heard the name, they would have thought of an Old, uh, Old Testament leader that we know of the Israelites, his name is Joshua, the son of Nun. 
Remember this, Joshua? Go back to your Bible school. Go back to your Sunday school thinking. It was back in Exodus 17, I believe it was, that, that Moses set him up as, as the leader. He was going to be the leader of, of the Israelites. He, he, later, he later became chief of one of the tribes, if you remember, one of the 12 tribes. That's pretty important if you think about it because at the end of time, it says there's going to be a head of each of those 12 tribes sitting in heaven ruling. See, he was tasked. He, he was also tasked. One of the things that we know about Joshua from all the Bible stories, the Feltboard stories, is this, this group of people that were tasked to go over into this land, if you remember, that, that God had promised to his people, the Israelites, and said, you are to cross over this land that is before you. I will give to you. And they, they gathered up these 12, these 12, and sent them over and said, hey, go take a look and see what the chances are. See if it's worth the trip. Is it really worth crossing over? Can we take it? And, and, and they send them over. Joshua was one of those. If you remember, they all came back. Ten said what? No, two said go. Joshua was one of the two. See, Joshua was one of the two. So, so when they say, he said this name, Jehoshua, uh, to them, they, they thought something very different. See, Joshua was, was the one who, after, after the death of Moses, that led the children <laughs> over the Jordan into the land of Canaan. See, when he said Joshua, <laughs> when he said Joshua to, to this bunch of folks, they got a whole different picture than what we got. See, he was seen as the Savior, as the deliverer of Israel. Delivering them into the promised land. So when Peter stood before them in the portico and not only said, hey, there was a servant that came that was a Messiah and died on a cross. Now he says, and there was this Joshua. Joshua. That you hung on the cross. He was comparing Joshua's delivery of the Israelites over the Jordan into the Canaan to what Jesus had come to do in his delivering of the people. And in their mind, they would have thought immediately, what if they'd have hung the Joshua we know on a cross before they crossed the Jordan? Where would we be now? You see, in their mind, they made connections that we don't make because of culture. And they, they suddenly saw this Jesus in a whole different light, as if it wasn't shocking enough that he had come to be a servant. But now, you're putting him in a light we can understand. We know who this Joshua. See, Peter knew. Peter knew that they were looking for this prophesied Joshua, this prophesied Messiah to come. He knew that they were looking for a deliverer. And let's face it, it's no different than us today. Aren't we all looking for a deliverer? We're all looking for Maybe we're looking for a deliverer from the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Maybe we're looking for a deliverer from the economic situation that we happen to be in. Maybe, maybe we're looking for a deliverer from our current health crisis. And Lord knows I'd love to have one of those this morning. You know what I mean? But, but maybe we're looking for a deliverer from, from a marriage relationship or a family relationship. Or maybe, maybe we're just looking for a deliverer from this world that just seems to be pressing in on all sides with some of the strangest things I've ever seen in all of my life and, and seems to be boxing Christians in for the slaughter. Maybe we're just looking for a general deliverance from all of this. You see, but from, from the most well-off to the poorest person, from, from the person living in the greatest country in the world, America, to, to the person living in the jungle somewhere that, that has never seen a city, from, 
from a person who has a, a life of affluence and spends her time traveling all over the world to the guy who digs a ditch in the morning, day after day after day, there's one thing we all have in common. We're looking to be delivered from something. We are looking to be delivered from something. And these people that stood before Peter were no different. See, they were pressed on all sides by this Roman empire. Empire. They were, they were kind of controlled by this Roman empire. They were suppressed because of their nationality. And Lord, aren't they being suppressed by their nationality now? I mean, Israel surrounded on all sides by enemies, looking to take them down at any time just because they're Jews. They're, they were depressed. They were depressed because of their social standing. And they were looking. They were looking for some kind of deliverance from all of that. But they, just like us, are most in the need of deliverance because of our rejection of Jesus Christ, the exalted Jesus. See, looking for deliverance from the troubles of this world alone, I hate to break it to you, it's only a temporary deliverance. It's only a temporary deliverance. Think about what the Bible says. You see, even if we're delivered from our poor health today, even if God decided he would just reach right down this morning and remove all of the sinus trouble I'm having this morning, you know what I do realize? I'm still going to die. I'm still going to die. At some point. Even if money, even if money just rained down from heaven and fell in my yard enough to pay my bills and more. You know what I know about me? I'll find a way to spend every bit of it. At the end of the day, it will have delivered me from nothing. Even if our spouse has a change of heart and overlooks our shortcomings in life, as you know my wife has to do every day, you know what I know about tomorrow? There's going to be another chance for me to fail her. And it's probably going to happen. Even, even if this old world somehow took a turn for the better and everyone started to get along perfectly and just love each other, you know what I know? This old world is going to disappear. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You know, at the end of the day, all the things that we worry about are temporary deliverances. They are temporary. But there is one thing. There is one thing we need deliverance from that is eternal and has eternal consequences. And it's sin. And what is sin? It's the rejection of Jesus. There's no way around it. He had standing before him the folks that had rejected Jesus. He said, you may need deliverance from something. But let me tell you the one thing I know beyond a shadow of a doubt you must have deliverance from. Rejection of Jesus. Sin. You see, rejection of Jesus sets a path that has an end in a place called hell. And that place called hell is real. It's as real as the pulpit that I beat on this morning. And it's a place that you will spend all of eternity separated from a God that loves you enough that he allowed his son to be killed on a cross for you. The end of life on a path of sin is a place called hell. And Peter throws the gauntlet. He just throws the gauntlet at the feet of them in Acts 3.13 when he says, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate. See, so he pulled no punches. He pulled no punches. 
When he looked at him, he didn't say, you know what, you might have sinned. There might have been some problem here. I know you were involved in some of that. I know you weren't up front in it. You weren't the one really that was, that was beating the nails in the crock. No. <laughs> he said, you want to know the part you played? <laughs> you delivered him, and you denied him, and you are guilty. He said, it's nobody else's sin. It's yours. And he even goes to the point of saying, this Pilate... <laughs> You, you delivered and denied him in the presence of Pilate. What's so significant about that? Wasn't Pilate the one that sent him to the cross? Remember the story. Remember the story. We don't have time to read each passage this morning. You may want to jot them down. I'll run through them briefly. Peter was recounting the trial of Jesus before Pilate. These people would have been very familiar with this. And they would have remembered this. Most of them probably would have been present to see it. And they would have recalled Pilate's response to this Jesus. Do you recall this morning, Pilate's response to this Jesus? Six times he says this, Luke 23, 4, I find no fault in this man. Luke 23, 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Luke 23, 22, I found no reason for death in him. John 18, 38, I find no fault in him at all. John 19, 4. Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. John 19, 6. You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Where did the blame lay for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? On Pilate? <laughs> Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Yet what was the response of the crowd? Six times Pilate had said, I find no fault in this man. He needs to be set free. And what was the response? In John 19, 6, it says the crowd, the group, the gathering that was just like before Peter, that stood before Pilate on the trial. What was the response? Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said he's innocent. Let the man go. The Jews? Looking for the Messiah? said crucify him. <laughs> and the reality of what was done at that trial before Pilate, Peter just dumped on their shoulders like a weight. Look at Matthew 27 with me real fast. I can't let this one pass. Matthew 27. We'll just skip down through the, through the story here. This is uh, Matthew 27, and we'll start in verse 22. Let me catch you up to speed there. This is the section where they, they've been at the trial. Uh, uh, Jesus has been exa examined. Um, everything's gone on, and, and now he's standing there, and there's just this choice to be made. Is, it, are, are we going to release this Barabbas, or are we going to release this Jesus? The, this Barabbas or, or this Jesus? And this is where they stand in Matthew 27. And, and starting in verse 22, Pilate said to them, whatever he had asked, do you want this Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And the crowd had screamed, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Barabbas is the one we want. In verse 22, Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Find it interesting. Find it interesting that he not only uses the name Jesus, which was his given name, but he uses the name Christ. It's Christ. See, he puts the emphasis to those Jewish people standing there. You're looking for a Messiah. Guess what? I'm asking you one more chance. What do you want me to do with this guy? The Christ. 
<laughs> Look what they said in verse 22. They all said to him, let him be crucified. The people that were looking for deliverance as a nation, but deliverance from God, looked at the Christ and said, kill him. Kill him. Says then the governor, Pilate, said, why? Tell me, what evil has he done? It's a good question. You've read the trials? They never could come up with anything, could they? Now, now he stands there before him and he says, what evil has he done? Instead of answering, look what they do. It says, but they cried out all the more. In other words, they had no answer. They had no answer to the question. It was now a mob scene. And what did they cry out? Let him be crucified. It says, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail, in other words, there was no way he could make them understand that the man was innocent, did not deserve death. He says, but rather that atonement was rising. There was, there was an uprising. There was this, this mob scene going on. He said, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. What did it signify when he washed his hands? I'm done with this. I've made my pronouncement. This man's innocent. I'm done. Anything else is carried on, it lays on you. It lays on you. <laughs> Look at their response. <laughs> and the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Back over to Acts. <laughs> He had asked in the 23rd verse, what evil has he done? They'd responded, let him be crucified. He had taken water. He had washed his hands and said, I am done with this. It's now on you. And they said, fine. Let the blood of that so-called innocent man be on us and be on our children. Guess what Peter's telling them? You got what you asked for. You said you wanted to kill him and it was going to be your problem. Guess what? It is. Each of you that are standing here said, we'll take responsibility for it. Now you're going to. You see the connection and the things that are said and done? He has them standing in the portico of judgment. And what did he just dump on their shoulders? The judgment from their own mouth. When they said, we'll take it as well as our children. Give us the man to kill him. And what, what Peter says is you're getting exactly what you asked for. You're guilty. You're guilty of his death. You are guilty of rejecting the glorified servant. You are guilty of rejecting the exalted Jesus. Those are the first two names. Let's hurry and see if we can slip in another one or two this morning. Peter's preaching judgment. Peter's preaching judgment on, their, on them for their sin, the rejection of this Jesus. He, he's made a clear case. He's made a clear case that they believe only God has the power to heal. That's why he started off talking about this Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he has standing there with him that man that was formerly lame. They can see with their own eyes that, that God had done something. If they believe only God could heal, then God must have healed. Uh, they'd been trying to wrap their head around how did it all happen was it peter was it john was it? It, he points them to jesus 
He's, he's pointed out to them the rejection, the rejection of this Messiah because he came as a servant, not as what they saw should be a warrior, how they, they rejected him because he didn't come in, in some grand stately manner. And that our Peter points to what they should have seen the whole time, that Jesus is Jehoshua, is the Savior and Deliverer of all mankind. They, they should have seen it the whole time. Even Pontius Pilate. Even Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, could see that the man wasn't guilty. Peter boldly confronts those standing there with this enormity, the enormity of their sin in executing this Jesus. All true biblical preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ should bring the hearer to the recognition of their guiltiness before a holy God. Any presentation of the gospel that doesn't put the guilt, the weight of the guilt of a sinner upon his shoulders is not a presentation of the gospel. What Peter did is he told him, you can't lay the blaming on anybody else. You can't give it to your mom and dad. You can't pass it off to not having known you're guilty. Any presentation of the gospel should lay the weight, the guilt of sin on the person who committed that sin. We all, we all are guilty of the death of Jesus Christ. Isaiah said it so beautifully when he said he was wounded because of our transgressions. He was bruised because of our iniquities. He bore the stripes that healed us because of our sin. See, only those who see themselves as sinners will ever recognize their need for a Savior. It's like I told the kids this morning. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save those who had sinned. We all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. But not everybody recognizes it. See, only those who come to recognize their sin and the guilt of it before a holy God will ever come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior at all. We need to understand that Jesus came to serve us to the point that he gave his own life on a cross to die for us, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, that he gave his life as a ransom for many, the Bible says. We need to understand that God, out of his love for us, has a plan to save us from our sin. And that plan requires our recognition of a glorified servant and him being our exalted Jesus our exalted deliverer. God has a plan, and his name is Jesus. Why? Why did he have to come up with a plan? Because all of sin to come short of the glory of God, which means we're all guilty, as I said. What are the wages of that sin? The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of that sin is death. So we all face the same place, death, eternal death, separation from God forever. Thank God they finished writing the 23rd verse of Romans 6 because it says the gift of God is eternal life. See, but all, all of us have the opportunity for life. Even though our sin gives us eternal death, we have an opportunity for life. It says that God demonstrated his love 
His own love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How did God demonstrate His love for us? How did God demonstrate His plan for us? God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should never perish, never have eternal life or eternal death. They should never perish, but should have eternal life forever in Jesus Christ. God loved us so much that He gave to us His Son, Jesus, the Deliverer. Peter's making the case that the servant of God came to save them from their sin of rejecting Jesus and sending him to his death. We, like the Jews, standing there before Peter, we're all guilty of rejecting Jesus. That's what sin is. That's, that's what sin is. It's only by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we've come to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And it's by the powerful name of the exalted Jesus that we have life. I'd dearly love to do the next two, but they're required to be done together and we're out of time. So I ask you this. Who, who is this Jesus to you this morning? Who, who is this Jesus? I think it's easier for us to see him as servant than it is to see him as Savior sometimes. You know, Jesus came and demonstrated his servanthood to us in his death on the cross. But if he had just come as a servant, he wouldn't have accomplished all that God sent him to do. See, because each of us are guilty before God. As, as Johnny pointed out in the song that he sung, it helps to envision this courtroom atmosphere. It helps to envision a courtroom atmosphere for that song, and it also helps to envision a courtroom atmosphere when you think about what Christ did for you, as Lord and Savior. See, there's only one judge. You want to guess who he is? The I am. God. God. He's, he's sitting on the bench. When you stand before him, you're not going to have the luxury of a box full of your peers making a decision about your life. You're not going to be able to gather those together that are like you in sin that may sympathize with you about what you've done in your life and the things that you've done and said and acted in a rejection of Jesus. You're not going to have gathered their support. See, when you stand before that judge, you're going to have a lawyer, but it's going to be one of two people. It's going to be a fallen angel named Lucifer, or it's going to be the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our advocate, the Bible calls him, our lawyer. And every time that judge looks at you, every time that judge looks at you when Satan says, remember that day Roger did such and such? And the judge glances over at the defense table, at me, He's going to see stepping in front of me, Jesus Christ. <laughs> when the judge looks says, you know what? I don't see that. I see my son Jesus. And when Satan says, you know, remember that time 
Judge said, no, I, I don't remember that time. And what Satan says, but God, you, you know who he was. The judge, God says, yeah, I know who he was. But now I know whose he is. <laughs> he ain't that old man no more. You see, when you stand before an almighty God, you're either going to have Satan accusing you or Satan defending you. Or you're going to have Jesus on your side. I hope this morning that you see Jesus as your deliverer. You're Jehoshua. The one who stepped out of the portals of heaven so that he could stand between you and God as your advocate. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.